Alright, Henry, if you told me that Mario and, or not Mario, I guess Nintendo and Legos were finally joining forces to create something, I, I 13-year-old child have been like, fuck yes, adult child looks at that and goes, but my money, my sweet, sweet money I need to pay for mortgage and food with, why are you trying to take him this and these things away from me, Nintendo and Lego? Yeah, I, yeah, it just sounds like sort of a, kind of a dream matchup, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean... Uh, I knew we were fucked a couple months ago. Maybe it wasn't months. Like they were showing off like what uh, pixel Mario would look like made of Legos, and it was like a full like 3D. Here's a build of it, and I'm looking at it going, "Please don't be real. Please don't be." Real. And then that couple, and then now we're here, and it's like, okay, that was totally real. And fuck. See, you're talking to a person that actually owns a custom supernatural Lego set. From the show, like, I have, I have <laughs> looked at several of those custom sets from like those like that's a creator page thing, right? Uh, yeah, it was. They were selling it at a convention I was at, and I was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a super fan of Supernatural. And... Oh yeah, no, I, I would own that. Like, I have not bought Legos in a long time, but uh, that like custom creator page thing of like the limited run kits they occasionally put out and stuff. I am on every couple months, being like, man, that'd be cool. Like. Because of my interest, that fucking ship in a bottle thing they wound up making is real oh. and awesome. Oh, do you do you actually put it together like inside of a real bottle? Yeah, it comes with a fake Lego bottle. That's really cool, actually. You didn't know about this? It's badass. Like it's it's a little bit expensive for my taste, but like it's on my list of things I will own when this pandemic is over. See, that seems supernatural to me. I mean, the fact that you have to put Legos, you have to put them together, and then putting doing it, the challenge of doing that inside of a bottle. Oh, no, the bottle snaps cool. in half Lego style around it, but yes. Oh, okay. It's, it's not right. quite as crazy as you're making it out to be. See, my assumption was that, yeah, it was like, no, you actually have to use, like, tweezers and stuff to put this together inside of a bottle, like you have to do with the real I would also be super down to play that, but, or do that, but that sounds like a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> it sounds amazing to me, but I'm weird. But. Yeah, but, no, but looking at this, too, like, to bring it back to the Nintendo Legos, I really want the, the, uh, the Lego NES. That looks undeniably cool. It the even, fact it works is undeniably cool. Yeah, it even comes with, like, a cartridge and a controller that plugs into the console, and it... I don't even want the TV, I just want the control the console in some ways. See, the TV, to me, is the more interesting thing, because... Oh, it's undeniably cool. Like, it's definitely the cooler thing, but also it's the, like, I'll use it once and then I'll move on. That Nintendo, though, that will sit on a shelf until I die. Uh, it looks a similar size to the NES Mini, to be honest, because it's a little bit smaller, slightly smaller scale than a real Oh, yeah, no, but what NES? if you found a way to hollow this sucker out and put the NES Mini guts inside of it? Oh, that'd be easy. I mean, all right, so well, these days, like, they, are, they don't replicate the actual hardware of an NES and an NES Mini. Yeah. They just, uh, they could, but they don't. But they, it's just an emulator running on a chip in the end. Uh, and so, like, the actual hardware inside of there is a fraction of the size of the NES Mini itself. So, no, that's, that's actually something you could do. I'll buy that kit.
<laughs> yep, combine them. Get the best of all worlds. Yep. Somehow figure it out to make sure. Same level can... of ventilation as a normal Nintendo. <laughs> somehow. Now, if you somehow make the cartridges work too, but. <laughs> yeah, now you're getting it. Welcome to the Wicked Awesome Cast, episode, god, 211? Is that right? Uh, haven't checked. <laughs> fair. That is fair. Uh, that, that sounds right, so we're going with that. Uh, it's just I, Mordak Undivided, a.k.a. Charlie, a.k.a. Mordak on most platforms at this point, and Henry, a.k.a. Nomadhar, a.k.a. Professor... Oh, god, I can't remember your other gamertag thing. Uh, I'm, I'm Kraken so, Zero. Kraken Zero! I was going to call you Professor something. <laughs> Alex, aka Mave Online, is out on assignment this week. Uh, in these times of COVID, it's important to take some time for yourself and all that jazz. So, yeah, just the gruesome twosome this week. Uh, I'll have to think of some puns. Or, or not. Like, I, I, I like to think that our listeners look forward <laughs> to the Alex Free Weeks as, like, a chance to not just groan their way through the podcasts. But I also know some people show up for those puns, and I... Come back next week. The puns will be back, probably. Sorry you're disappointed this week. Yeah. He's off doing some stuff. I'll be back next week. He's not... Don't worry, he's not, he doesn't have the Rona or anything like that. But yes. Ah, welcome to the Wicked Awesome Cast, podcast about video games and food and all that jazz. Mostly video games. We haven't had a weird food thing in a while. Yeah, I, yeah, we haven't had any food scientist things, and that's kind of disappointing. I, I mean... Probably the weirdest thing, it's not really a weird thing, Um, the, the second Psych movie came out this past week, and me and my wife tracked down a Jamaican food place to enjoy, while, while, to get food from for takeout while watching that, because that shows an on-running kind of fascination with jerk chicken, and, well, in these times of COVID, it's important to make fun shit like that. <laughs> So, Psych, you're talking about the TV show, right? Yeah, I, it's... She is a huge fan of it. I am a begrudging fan of it at this point. Like, it's from that weird time period where USA has was making some of the best and best aging TV shows of the of its time period and, and of all time in some weird ways. Like, that show earns every bit of fondness it has. Like, I... I started off not liking that show, and after the numerous watch-throughs we've watched it, because my wife watches TV on, like, bizarre repeat shuffle, I have come to genuinely enjoy that show. The first movie's not so good, or it's it's fine. This one's, like, genuinely good and feels like a continuation. I We really both had a lot of fun with it. Like, not, not saying go watch Psych or anything, that's a whole other personal set of choices to go down, but if you're looking for, like, eight seasons of, like, the best gooey popcorn in your teeth TV show. It's not like it, it's it's well written enough. It's fun. Like it will make you happy in spite of yourself. Psych's a hell of a choice in these times of COVID. Yeah, I I always kind of enjoyed the show. I I've only watched a certain amount of it, but I like the characters. I yeah. think they're they're well played. I think it's generally like at least somewhat cleverly written. Yeah, it's it's a clever show, and I I think probably the best part is that the first like half of the movie 
is front loaded with a bunch of jokes where like everyone on the show has gone on to be on other stuff at this point, and it's them making fun of all the other shows they're on right now in the movie. Like uh, the guy who plays uh, Gus has been on a bunch of things. The guy who plays Sean is on a TV show I watch called I think it's like a Million Reasons or something, and it competes with, uh, pretty directly with a show called This Is Us. So they keep bringing up This Is Us just as a ongoing joke of like, what is this? This Is Us? What if there's a competing show of some kind? Like, it would make two equally depressing TV shows on television. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah I've definitely... Well, I've watched a lot Unless, of the USA yeah. originals, and honestly, there's quite a few of them that make good popcorn watching. I mean... Yeah, so, it's definitely yeah. one of the kings of that. I did do so, some video game stuff, though. Yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering if that would come right, up. So I, 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 I played two video games. I also played more Destiny. I have all the Sabathun eyes. I am literally done with the Forerunner seal, except for stuff that hasn't happened yet or has to. I have to get on rotation. Next week, I will be down to waiting on the last two redacted things to get to. So if you're curious how Destiny is going. That's how it's going. We'll talk more about that when we get to our news segment later. So I played Super Hut Mind Control Delete, and I also played Ghosts of Tsushima. And we're going to start with Super Hut because I have less to say about Super Hut. Um, it is it is more Super Hut, not Super Hut VR, which I know is going to piss some people off because Super Hut VR is one of if not the best VR things out there. This is more Yeah. This is more Super Hut, a game that I think is a near perfect game for what that game is trying to do. Like it's self-contained, every part of it feels curated. It's amazing. Like it's a it, it is a pinnacle of a video game ass video game in my book where it's like what's the story? Who cares? Video games are happening. It's like, okay, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And it has a story, and it's a cool story, and there's a surprise amount of depth, and there's cool stuff, and that game's great. Um, literally, the premise of Super Hot Mind Control Delete is more Super Hot, as in, like, the plot appears to be there has to be more Super Hot, and indeed there is more Super Hot, and that's kind of the... That's the gist. Uh, it is a sequel in the most literal terms of the phrase sequel. It is more Super Hut. There's a couple changes, like there's hacks. There's. The... I'm not saying it's a lesser Super Hut, but I think of the three Super Huts that exist now, it is the weakest of the three Super Huts because it is just a sequel to the original Super Hut, and there's not that kind of, oh my god, what the fuck is Super Hut vibe to it. It's like, you know what Super Hut is, you want more. Here's more. I've, I've seen a couple people say it feels like it's got a procedural generated aspect to it, which I hmm. don't disagree. It's not as tight. Like part of what I love about the original Super Hot is it's like perfectly. It's so designed to be exactly what it is. It's like yeah, this is Super Hot. This is designed to be more Super Hot, and it doesn't have that like exact same tightness, but it has. More. There is more. There's more gimmick. There's more stuff. The hacks add some things. Like, there's powers you can get that change the game up a little bit. Uh, some enemies have guns that are strapped right to their arms and introduces a new color to things. I, I, yeah, it is. It is more super hot in literal definition of more super hot, and that's not a that's not a bad thing. Like I, 
I will always want more super hot people are on the page for this being like, why isn't this in VR? It's it's not more VR super hot. It's more normal super hot. And if given the option of not quite as good, but also like risky in a different way, super hot additional, I will take that. I I had a lot of fun with it. It's super hot. Like it's fun to go back to it. And be like super hot, super hot all over again. You're like, yeah, this game is still cool as fuck. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it's definitely the lesser of the three super huts, but that's kind of like saying, like, which of these two, like, of these three almost perfect games, which is the worst? I, I guess the third one? Okay, if they're still great games, they're still great games. I had fun with it, it's more super hot. Like, yeah, I, if you're expecting the VR experience, you will be disappointed because that thing is, like, legitimately perfect for what it is. Like, it, it, it might not be yeah. for everyone, but, like, there's, there's, no fault that's not intentional you can't be like about that game like it's the this is the quintessential vr experience for what this thing is and they should make more of that too but we got more normal super hut and i'm not going to complain about that and the gimmick of we want more super hut there must be more super hut as your plot i kind of dug it's like yeah no this is this is where the community's at we want more super hut here's more super hut ooh it, it it's almost the exact same game like that, that that's kind of the if you were expecting some like oh now this isn't like third person no it, it's it's still super hot i dug it but the other game i spent way too much time with this week was ghost of tsushima and holy fuck i the story of me getting to that game is weird the story of me playing that game is weird like before we dive in I think that game is a great game and a hell of a fantastic console exclusive for the PS4 to die on. Like, not not die on, but end with, I guess. Like, there are, like, th that is a, that is an amazing, like, culmination of, like, all the shit you can do with the PS4. And, yeah, uh, Ghost of Tsushima is a hell of a game, and I'm now going to spend some time talking about it like I don't like the game. But please remember, at this point in time, I really like that game. I'm either one-third or half of the way through that game, I think. The map just got bigger. Um, kind of the twist happened. It's not really a twist. Um, like, the big bad has moved from one castle to the other. I'm not calling it... I'm not spoiling that, because the game literally says at one point, Yo, I'm going to your other castle. Mm. Yeah, the, the guy says, like, I'm gonna leave you here now, and I'm I'm going to another character. and. That he does, and he does just that, and I, I, I think that game is amazing. We're gonna, but I'm now going to speak as though I don't like that game because my feelings on that game are holy shit. I'm having a lot of fun, but there are conflicts. But yeah, if you like, if you were excited about this game and holding off, or have like hesitation, listen to this whole crazy thing I'm about to say. But keep in the back of your mind, I've played like. 16 hours of that in two days and I'm having a blast and that game is great and amazing and I'm now going to talk as though I don't like it because that's who I am and talking about that game is weird for me because that game is weird. Uh, so, the good. Um, I've had, a shit ton of t I've had a shit ton of fun with this game. I think the first two or three hours of that game are kind of terrible. Uh, you start off doing, 
as a ad as a fan of the art of fighting, not like a franchise, but like the idea of the art of fighting and the philosophy that goes into the art of fighting and all that jazz, like the the idea of what does it mean to fight and all that. This game speaks to me on a variety of levels that like. I'm not saying I'm unique in picking up on this, but it does feel like a lot of people have glossed over in there and how they've chosen to talk about this game. Where it, this is a fighting, this is a video game for people that are into the art of fighting. In this case, it's the art of swordplay and like what it means to do that and like the implications of swordplay and stuff like that. And the game does it in a very cool way. So from the jump, you are faced with kind of the propped up notion of samurai honor where it's like no subtlety no subterfuge it's kind of like be honorable all the time and the historical implications of that and the ramifications of it and within the first like 30 seconds of the game you run headlong into the kind of the quintessential martial art bushido all those kind of honor code debates which is how does this function when faced with an enemy that like doesn't share this code or system or fighting style or whatever? Like it's it it, it like if, if if you've ever kind of find yourself in the conversation of why aren't there more karate masters in MMA fighting, it's because karate masters do well against other karate masters. Like MMA is brawling in the like most general sense of that. Like it's the it's not style versus style. It's will to victory versus will to victory. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I'd say that there's a lot of, well, it's called MMA for a reason. Yeah. They all study multiple arts. Yeah. Many of them have studied various forms of karate. Yeah, but it's, it's not one pure fighting style versus one pure fighting no. style. Like it's, no, it's not. You, you do badly in it. If you don't have that plethora of technique, I guess like, yeah, like you're hitting on the exact point this game is making in some ways. So like, the game starts off with Jin, our main character, kind of like you you wake up from being rescued, like the, the the samurai doing the charge against the Mongol horde get fucking wrecked. And they take out a bunch of Mongols, but like part of the thing the Mongols have going for them is sheer like massive numbers and stuff like that. And like it, it the tone is set for what the Mongols are all about when one of the samurai leaders like challenges the leader of the Mongols and he throws alcohol at them and lights that dude on fire. This all happens in, like, the first 30 seconds of the game and baits the entire samurai army into essentially kind of doing the honor-bound charge and just getting wrecked. And you wake up from recovering, I think it's, like, a month or so later. Like, it's not good. It, you were injured, time has passed, shit has gotten way worse for Tsushima, and you are one of, if not, like, the last samurai left on the shores of Tsushima. You're not the last samurai in Japan, just the last one on the island of Tsushima. Turns out you're not, there's other ones around, but, like, you're the only, you're one of the few, like, samurai lords, I guess, is the way of recognizing that. And that whole goes into play, where you meet up with a character named Yuna, who is very much, like, you're alive, they're dead, that means you won the fight mentality, and your main character has issues with that, where it's like you're a thief, like, you're kind of an ass to this character that saved your life and gets you your sword back and has been nothing but nice to you, and is also, like, a fucking badass character through the entire game so far, like, Yuna is a cool character. She is, like, 
she is a ninja that they never call a ninja, but like whenever they kind of like peel back the like it's like, oh, she's just kind of a thief. It's like, nah, she's got more shit going on. Why? Like, you keep walking in on rooms where she's murdered like ten people single handedly and been like, yo, you're late. And she's a cool character, and she kind of encourages you to pursue alternative tactics. And then the rest of the game happens. So if this is an open world game, and the open world game is at odds with the story of this game, because for the majority of this game, you are just kind of ronining it about. You're riding your horse, you're getting in scuffles, like, you're attacking Mongol bases. Uh, a lot of comparisons have been made that this is like another Assassin's Creed game, and if you've played any Ubisoft open world game in the last decade where it's towers and collectibles and take out these strongholds, you will feel right at home in this game. I, I think it does them a little bit better in some cases, like the... Uh, to use Far Cry 3 as the example, because I've heard a lot of people compare it to Far Cry 3, the, yeah, the, the, the watchtowers equivalent are the shrines, the difference being the shrines are fun to climb and get through and are beautiful when you get through them kind of thing. Uh, the strongholds really encourage you to kind of mix it up, but because of how combat works in this game, you can have some incredibly badass moments in them too. I, yeah, it, it's an, it, it's a cookie-cutter open-world game that, because of its kind of samurai background, gets away with not doing some things very inventively, but I've had just an unbelievable amount of fun. Like, the side activities, because of this game's combat system, are why I'm still playing this game. Like, it's... And it's because of that combat system, the first couple hours of the game are legit kind of terrible, because you have to unlock stuff like a better functioning parry mechanic and dodging that doesn't completely suck. And as a result, the first like couple story missions you have to do to get stuff like a bow are way harder than they should be. And that's not good. I, I'll go so far as to say like maybe the first four hours of this game are bad. And if you don't get through them, that's not a problem. Like they are undefendably bad and kind of terrible and not fun. And then you start kind of unlocking your character's potential with the upgrade tree, and then it gets a lot of fun. Like, once you get to the point... So, this game also has the problem where it feels like at some point in time they took a much better game and then made Ghost of Tsushima out of it, and I say this because the parts of this game I'm enjoying the most are kind of this ronin samurai aspect of this game. The parts of this game that make it Ghost of Tsushima, this, like, the, the narrative, the character Jin, kind of how you interact with a shocking number of characters in the game, isn't good or well-written. Like, it's... The best stuff in the game is the side stories, and, like, the not-main-path stuff you get into, with the exception of, I think his name's Ryoka... He's a friend that kind of, like, is the opposite of you. Like, so, mild spoilers, but not really. Like, he is a person you beat in a tournament at one point who, because he was not born a lord, his life has gone a very different path than yours, and he's now the leader of a group called the Straw Hat Ronin, which is a whole other kind of organization. And, uh, again, like, the game, when it's being kind of a samurai tale and not the tale of the samurai of Tsushima is an amazing game. Like, the idea that you have unbelievably skilled warriors 
barely struggling to kind of provide food because they can't get mercenary work is a good story for this game, especially in times of war with the Mongols. Like, it's... The, the side stuff is great. The legendary tales that give you, like, the insane samurai strikes and specialty armor and stuff are cool... feel like the old-school Japanese uh, samurai movie kind of things. They don't take an hour or so to get through, but they are, like... They're the ridiculousness of, like, yeah, this, ar this armor makes you really good at bowing stuff. Why? Well, the guy that had it had a bowing, and here's this beautiful painted cutscene showing him bowing people the fuck out, and, like, you're gonna fight a Tengu monk at one point, because that's who's guarding the cursed bow that's not really cursed, it's just got some weird story. I, I, I wish the game had more supernatural, so it's very grounded in a bad way, I think, occasionally, but the game's also not trying to be... I, the more I play of the game, the more I enjoy the parts that feel like Samurai Champloo, or Champlain. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And the less parts that feel like Roni Kenshin. Uh, Champloo. Yeah, Champ Champloo. Sorry. Yeah. Like it's because the game has some really cool moments where you feel like Jin and Mugen from that. Like when you're doing the roaming samurai thing, you show up, you help some people, you talk to people. Like that's when the game's at its best. When you're doing the samurai things. Like and like when you take out a stronghold, you feel cool because you have the option of going through and stealthing a bunch of it and then you go loud and then you take out like 10 dudes with your samurai badassery or you're, you find a small one it's like oh it's only 10 guys you stroll on that front gate and activate the like uh, what's it called like the first strike mechanic where you literally walk in and go okay which of you guys is gonna fight me and then if you've upgraded enough you take out like so it's got this really cool mechanic where like when you enter certain types of combat it goes into a bullet time thing where you have, like, button presses to murder guys based on timing, and you can upgrade that to the maximum of three, and then you can get armor that puts it to four, so you can have that unbelievably cool Ronin, a kind of roaming Ronin moment where you come across a bunch of bandits and they go, okay, we're gonna fight you, and then you take out, like, two-thirds of a band in seconds, and you're like, yeah, you still wanna fight, motherfucker? And that's when the game's at its best. And the game knows it's at its best because there's a variety. It's open world, so the variety of outfits and all that jazz. Like you can make your character look like what you want. And looking and being a samurai in that game is lame. Like the the samurai armor, I think, looks lame. Like it's like, yep, it's samurai armor. But then you also have all the Ronin outfits. And they are bright, and colorful, and awesome, and good god does this game have an amazing number of badass straw hats for you to collect, and... <laughs> That's a weird sentence. But, like, for me, it's like, if I'm playing a game like this, I want that big, like, five, like, ridiculously, like, makes every cutscene looks ridiculous, but, like... I, I want that giant straw hat that's like it covers your entire head with the slats in the front of you to look out if it's got the slash that shows your eye kind of thing. And the game knows that's what people like me want. So much so, there are multiple versions of that hat in the game, and they all make your character look cool and ridiculous, but like increasingly more badass in the cutscenes. Like, my dude is currently running around right now with a... um. With a sword, like, the customization of the game's pretty awesome. Like, it's the uh, the sword sheets that I'm using are this mix of, like, this crazy neon green pattern. I'm walking around in this, like, 
almost like Scottish plaid Ronin outfit that looks ridiculous, but like gives me plus 30 on all my melee strikes. Like you, you can customize the fabric. I chose this like bright garish, like come at me, bro fabric. Cause that's the character I'm playing. And I have this giant straw hat and I will not take it off unless it's like, okay, you're storming a castle. Fine. I'll put my samurai armor on, but, but you're going to take off the hat. No, the hat stays on. The ridiculous straw hat never comes off this character. But we have so much cool facial animation. Yeah, and I'm playing the samurai movies that the character never takes off the straw hat. Or when they do, it's like this big dramatic moment. And uh, the game is at odds with itself, where it lets you have this unbelievably cool Ronin experience, and then it shoves you back into this samurai lord narrative it's telling that, like, is full of hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy is great. It what makes the samurai lord stuff bearable. We're, like, in the same sentence of you've saved, like, the lord of the island. He's like, I'm super grateful to you, but I wish you'd gone the way they got a bunch of our people killed. Like, I understand you used unconventional tactics to free me, but I'd have much rather you die trying to save me, doing it the right way. And your character's like, fuck you a little bit. But also, like, he's big into, like... At least in the point in the game I'm at right now, there's this disconnect where your character has, like, said multiple times, I'm willing to bend the rules to get shit done in a very kind of Ronin badass way. Like, it feels cool. Like, it's the... The game is at its best when you go through the stealth system and then have to go loud because you get caught and you fuck up, and you're like, okay, yeah, I got four people with stealth, guess I'm getting the rest of the 12 of them with just the sword at that point kind of thing. And it feels great when you do that. It also feels great when you just kind of samurai badass your way through an encounter. It doesn't feel good when you're, like, doing the, like, honor thing, but it also kind of feels like the game's intentionally making you feel bad because... The game is very quick and very accurately to bring up this whole concept of honor in the way the samurai used it. It's very much a kind of weird privilege thing, and it's what got the majority of them killed in the fight against the Mongols at the start of the game. Like, if Yuna, the best character in the game, is very quick to bring up this idea that, like, Okay, yeah, so you want to keep doing it the way that lost, like, almost all the warriors in our country or in our on our island in, like, the span of an hour? You can, but I'd rather win this shit. And, like, I'm not asking you to, like, burn people alive the way they're doing it. I'm just asking you to, like, you know, use tactics. And that story is good. The story of Jin, unfortunately, kind of dealing with that is a little bit bad, and like I guess to kind of take a little more macro right now, you can play the game in completely Japanese or English dub. The Japanese, uh, both are amazing. Um, the lip flapping ma uh, matches the English voice acting, which I've heard some people be like, that's kind of a weird choice, but I get it, but also like it would feel more authentic to me if it was actually matching the Japanese dub, but I've also heard some people that say like the Japanese voice is much more what you think of the stereotypical samurai voice from Japanese media at that point, and they're not wrong, but also it it's a hell of a voice acting job. I think it's a better version of Jin in some ways. It makes more sense for the character story they're telling. He feels more conflicted. English-speaking Jin is kind of... 
I don't want to call him soft, but like he seems a little bit too malleable to be going through the existential crisis he's going through with the whole honor being sneaky, being a ninja thing. And I don't know. It's again, like I know, I know it sounds like I'm trashing the game right now. I think the game is amazing. If you're into open world games, definitely check this game out. If you're into samurai stuff, check this out. The the Kurosawa mode for novelty alone is worth checking out for a couple minutes. It's completely the wrong way of playing the game because one of the coolest game mechanics this game has going is how it uses color. Like, in a game where the navigation system is literally the wind at your back, the fact this isn't just an open-world Ronin game seems like, again, like, they made a Ronin game at one point, and then we're like, okay, how do we make this more massive, like, mass appeal to people? Let's make it a Samurai Lord game. Like, literally the navigation system in this game is you follow the wind to where you're trying to get to. And it's so cool! There's no, like, there's no markers, it's just, like, gusts of wind you're following, and it takes you to where you've marked on the map. And that's neat. Like, your relationship with your horse is cool. When you have, when you do a big thing in the game, you have, like, a 30-second, like, moment of you and the horse just chilling as stuff loads up and the horse is like yeah i'm your only friend right now we are the people that hang out the most right now in your life you know honestly of what you said so far the wind mechanic sounds the coolest to me because that's a rare case of a yeah. fully diegetic uh diegetic part of uh, you know do you know that term yeah. i think i've talked about no, it and, before, and that's the thing like the design for this game is stunning like it's some of the cinematic moments, like one of the le- one of the legendary stories where you get, I think it's the heavenly strike moment, or the heavenly strike move. Y- the fight happens, and a spontaneous thunderstorm happens, and you're having a cool ass samurai duel in the middle of a thunderstorm, like with lightning strikes around you. Like the design for this game is cool. Like it's exaggerated. Like it's like it. The game is projectile vomiting cherry blossoms and beauty at every turn, and it's just it. it the hidden, how to find hidden stuff in this game is you follow yellow songbirds that will like pop up around the map and like reveal secrets to you, and they're good secrets. Like the one of the collectibles in the game you get by following foxes around out of their dens. Like it's a little 10 second, like, oh, follow the fox to this thing, get a shrine, or increase your shrine powers, etc. Like it's, yeah. Like the, the, like, and that's yeah. I think I mean that's the thing. I feel like diegetic stuff should be used much more in video games. Yeah. Like I, I I usually comment on it every time I see it in a game. Like because like you know having you know yellow arrows on the screen while while helpful also it's just like it's obviously not actually in the world in that game world. It's an overlay. It's an it's a you know it's a a, a HUD, a HUD. It's, yeah, so I really dig when they find a good way to do diegetic stuff, like, yeah. you know, another example I like to talk about is the dead space, the fact that everything pretty much occurs in the actual space of the game, rather than on sort of a, a you know, a UI thing, which nobody can see. It's when you bring up your, you know, in that game, when you bring up your screens for your, you know, your equipment, it's actually projecting out of your arm. It's actually yeah. it's in the game. So yeah, the the bird thing, the foxes, the wind. I mean, 
These are things other the other games could be doing to make you feel more immersed. No, and and, and the that's game. The, and that and that we're kind of building to my whole weird point where it's like this game feels like a weird like modern uh, open world game when it kind of brings you back. Like it's the there's two games in this game. There's this beautiful Ronin story of the samurai wandering Tsushima with the wind at his back, and then there's the main story missions. And the main story missions are very platformy and very combat arena e and they're fine they're fun like they they have that like the combat in this game is good enough for me to enjoy those but they are also where the game starts to drag like the game when you're out in the world doing the roaming samurai thing with the wind at your back and you're following birds and you're taking out bandits and settling feuds with people and wiping out kind of bad guy strongholds is a really cool game. It's so much fun to play. And then you play the story missions that are like, like and, and that's the thing, the side story missions are good, except for the Bowmaster guy. He just sucks. Like Everything about him sucks, but I'll let people mm. experience that story for themselves. Like, the, the side stories about revenge and what it means to be a Ronin and like, there's a fucking haiku mini game in the game. Like you will come across haiku making spots, and the first time I did them, I'm like, "This is dumb." And then I'm like, "I need to find more haiku spots." And that was actually unbelievably cool. And you get cosmetic headbands out of them, but like, it's this fun little moment. Like you come across hot springs, and you reflect on certain things, and your character has just like dumb thoughts about the shit he's going through at that point in time. And they're not like deep, profound moments like the haiku stuff. It's just him being like. Man, I've killed a lot of people. Fuck. <laughs> While sitting in a hot spring. Like, it, it's... He has just little moments of, like, existential internal screaming that are nice. And, like, you, you climb these shrines and you feel cool doing it. You get to the top and you bow and you pay respects and you go back to doing whatever the hell you were doing. I, Yeah, like, it's... Everything about the side activities in this game is great. Like, the... I, I made platinum this game because I enjoyed doing all the side stuff so much. Like, strolling into a farm, finding the thing people are trying to have you help and go do, and then going and do it is where this game is cool. Like, the mission where you help escort this healer, it's a five-minute thing, and the healer kind of, like, remarks on how it's like, yeah, you're really quick to go to violence, and it, like, and then later on it's like, okay, yeah, I get why you're willing to go to violence that quickly. Like, it's the the, the people you've gone to Vance about are poisoning the water supply of the island as a war tactic kind of thing. And because you're a video game player, you put those fuckers down on site kind of thing. A, for the experience. B, because narratively they've made it very clear, you put those fuckers down on site. But you have normal people responding to, like, man, you put, like, you didn't even hesitate to murder six people. Later on, okay, yeah, I get why you have no hesitation to murder six people. I'm a healer, so I don't do that, but yeah, no, both of us are valid in how we've chosen to go through this situation. Like, I apologize for criticizing your choices earlier. Maybe, like, don't do it out of anger, but also, I get it. Like, these people are a plague, and as a healer, I appreciate the fact that you are out there solving a human plague. Yeah, I, and, and that's where the Yuna stuff happens, and that's where the Yuna stuff is the best stories of the game. Because she is just another person. Like, she is perpetually pointing out the fact that, like, life, it's like, life as a samurai, a samurai lord, good. Life as a person that's kind of forced to deal with bandits and 
has a more complicated worldview than good and evil, and this is the right way and this is the wrong way, significantly harder. And that story arc through the game is great. And the fact that, like, Yuna perpetually gets screwed over by samurai lords, where it's like, she's incremental in you doing certain things, and then the first thing the lords you rescue do is just, like, backstab her, essentially, where it's like, yeah, I know my nephew made this promise that, like, you'd get a boat off this island the first thing possible. I'll do that, but after I elongate your service to me after, like, shit-talking you directly by an extended period of time. Because I am a lord and I can do that, and you are not. And you're just a common thief that does dishonorable things, despite the fact that you're, like, half the reason we pulled this off. Yeah, it. that's where the game is cool. The, the, the mainline story of Jin being a samurai lord, which is the main story of the game, is lame, and I also don't think what the game advertised, like, I, but at the same time, like, I know, I, I, as I warned you, I think this game is good, it's a hell of a swang song for the PS4, like, if you were going to have a final Sony exclusive for a console, holy shit, is this a good one to have, like, like, forget Last of Us 2. Like, that, that, that's whatever you want to think of this. Like, this is an amazing video game if you like video games. It's an amazing video game from a, like, mechanic standpoint. The combat is amazing once you get into it. The first couple hours are definitely rough. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat that. Like, to the point that they're bad. If you do not get through them, that is completely okay. They are kind of that bad. But when you do get past them, when the combat does start clicking, and when you do start kind of getting all your samurai skills and your ninja abilities and your tools and all that stuff going and working in combat and you're doing the thing you want to do in that game, which is being a badass kind of ninja samurai thing, the game is undeniably cool. Like, it is such a good game. And I cannot recommend it enough so far. I've heard a bunch of people that kind of go through this trajectory of it starts bad, the middle section's amazing, and then, like, by the end, you're kind of like, okay, I'm done with this game. I fully expect that to happen with me with this game. Like, it's the, because I suspect by the end it's going to be focusing in on the main story and the kind of combat arena stuff that's not as good about this game more. And I'm okay with that. Like, I don't know if I'll finish this because I'm not sure I care enough about that parts of it, but, like, the Ronin stuff, collecting the straw hats, the doing all the side stories, they're enough of a reason to play this game. It's a hell of a game because of that stuff alone, and I'm having fun with it. Like it's, I, I cannot stress how much fun I've been having with it since I got over that first hump. Like, it is just visually stunning. Like, the, the vistas are great. The traversal is great. Like, it's, it's a sucker punch game, so it's definitely got kind of that sucker punch open world thing going on. It... it it's a masterful game with some kind of story problems. Like, it looks great start to finish. The facial animations are great. The Some of the, like, iconic places you go are just draw-droppingly uh, beautiful. The Golden Temple. I was not prepared for how beautiful that thing is. Every time I go back for it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this place is beautiful, even by, like, video game standards. Like, yeah, I... I've spoken a bunch about this game now. I think it's a fantastic game with some very major flaws to it. Like maybe don't go for 60 bucks. Like it at 40 bucks, it's an amazing game. Like it's a at 40 bucks, it's a 10 out of 10 game. At 60 bucks, it's 
got some rough edges that I can't ignore and give you a full hearted recommendation. But like, if you want to wait, or if you're if you've been on the fence, go for it. Like this, this, you will not be disappointed with this game. But also, like, full warning: the first few hours of this game are kind of terrible. Like, not terrible, terrible, but they are not indicative of what the rest of this game is or any of the stuff I've enjoyed through that game. And if you want to get really into kind of comparing the visual aesthetics of Straw Hats, this game is there for you. And, like, again, that's the weird disconnect where they know what game that people wanted them to make out of this. And they made, like, mostly that game because, yeah, those parts of the game are amazing. Like, if you want to be that roaming, roaming guy in a straw hat, it's there. You can have a lot of fun with just that game alone. But... Yeah, that that that's Ghost of Tsushima. I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. The, the straw hats are amazing. The uh, some of the outfits are amazing. I it, it's it's still weird talking about that game for me because I hate the or I find the kind of like main samurai story stuff to it just unbelievably disappointing. Like, and the game has style. Like, it's got a bunch of delayed title cards that are cool. Like, every time you do a legendary tale, it gives you kind of the um ink style like cutscene like those are cool i yeah I, your character has a flute you can play when you want to that just plays songs and that's fun you, you collect crickets to get more songs i yeah i i'm having a lot of fun with it i i, I know i i know it sounds like i just spent a bunch of time being negative about this game or complaining about it in armchair developing it but i think it's a hell of a game that like if you're into open, like, I don't like open world games, and I enjoy this one a lot at this point. Like it, I, I am definitely the person that looked at this and was like, I don't know how I feel about go take out these strongholds again. Like, I played that in Far Cry Three and thought that was fun there, and don't play Far Cry games anymore because they refuse to change. This game makes me like that again. I guess like it, it feels different in a good way. But I'm going to stop talking now because we have the rest of a podcast to go on. I think I just talked about that game for, what, a half hour, give or take? Straight, and my voice now hurts. What have you been up to, Henry? Well, um, I've been really mainly playing some Destiny 2, like, uh, working to, yeah, doing the kind of the weekly stuff, yeah. and um, working to finish off a few exotics as well as some of the catalysts. I'm really close to the bad juju catalyst. Yeah. I just need I just need a couple of uh I uh, one that's been frustrating me. So one of the one of the things that I feel like I can get is getting over a hundred thousand in the Nightfall the Ordeal. Yeah. And well this week's one is not good for that. There's not enough enemies. There's literally not enough enemies. Like I zoomed through it with a couple of people, like you know, and if you go fast enough in, like, Heroic or whatever, it's like, you're getting, you know, 1.2 or 1.5 or whatever times yeah. the number of points. They're just not enough point, not enough enemies. Like, literally not enough enemies spawn for you to be able to, for you to be able to get enough points to it. Like, we finished with 90,000, and that was cruising through it, destroying everything on, on the way, and... It just wasn't enough, so that's frustrating. And I've got bad news. This week's upcoming one is going to be even worse because it's the Corrupted. Oh, that one's just dumb. Yeah, that's the one that my clan refuses to do almost. Like, I, it's like, I, I've been looking maybe to 
do it be uh find a way to do it because hold on i think i no maybe i did find a group to do it uh what what all right what's the exotic you get that's connected with the corrupted i forget now uh malfeasance yeah um no i don't think i've done or that it's yet thorn. I think it's... it's one of those two um thorn. no thorn you finish off uh with uh the one where you have to fight the big worm zol all oh, right zol yeah I thought that yeah, was you um have to, you have to shoot off you know you have to use rose to shoot all the crystals no that's um the healing gun that i'm um elysium no it's got an e name um it's the healing gun that's not that's not thorn um, Not Ariana's vow. That's a different gun. Uh, it's yeah, I can't remember it yeah. now. Uh, move on. Yeah. I'll look it up for you while you're talking. But in any case, yeah, I've been been trying to finish off bad juju at least to get the catalyst before the planet is gone. I do it on. Um, but yeah, the the ones. The one, yeah, that's really the one that's in the way right now, is trying to get the 100,000 for that. Yeah, the Corrupt is a real bad one to try to get 100,000 yep. score on, on that. There's, there again, there's not that many enemies. It's just a dumb, hard, like, raid, or, or, I don't even remember what it is. It's not a raid. It's, it's, no, it's a, it's Nightfall. Um, or, or it's a, uh, Strike anyway. It's a strike, yeah. not a raid. Yeah, it's a, it's a strike, but it's dumb and stupid, and I hate that. That's the next one because I'm so close to bad juju. I just need that because I've gotten enough. You just have to get 45, and I'm. That's really all that's left is just one more. I mean, there's other options, but they all involve going on raids, and I haven't still haven't done a raid, which oh, I guess I'll kind of mention. we tried. <laughs> We tried a raid. There's this like uh, was, network glitches that, that kept happening. Issue, yeah, yeah. Basically, it was like, uh, yeah. We're all right. So Alex and I were got invited to do a raid with Charlie's clan, and uh, uh, for some reason, the network would only let either Charlie or Alex on, not both at the same time. It's kept kicking one or the other off. So apparently, the world of Destiny can only handle one of you. One of you or Alex at the same time. It's like, we can either have angry sarcasm or puns, yeah. but we can't have both in our game world, because apparently that would just break everything. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I tried, uh, you know, doing some of the other stuff. But yeah, I've just been doing the weeklies. Uh, played. Uh, Fantasy Star Online just a little bit. So, a game I did play that was different, so instead of going for the very latest and greatest like you did, I played a 20-year-old game, because that's that's the type of thing that I do. Yeah. And so, and this will really date me, um, so I played a game called Daria's Inferno, and that is from the old MTV show Daria. That is a hell Daria. of a name. Yeah. Um, well, it's based around Dante's Inferno, um, but yeah, the the game itself it, it's from the TV show Daria. It has all of the voice actors on it, so I mean, 
some actual time and care went into making this game. It's it's the only game that was made of it. And it came out in 2000, same year as the show was came out. So it's turn of the century. It is a time capsule, I'll say that. It is a very interesting time capsule, yet in some ways kind of ageless. Like, like the, you know, certain things are definitely very dated, but other things are like, huh. Yeah, it's it's about, so for those that don't know, Daria was a TV show. It's actually a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead, and it it revolves around Daria, who is a kind of intelligent but very darkly sarcastic, dark-humored character who's basically making her way through high school. And then just, you know, friends and acquaintances, and yeah, it's about school life, really. And yeah. in that sort of slightly exaggerated way, but not by much. It's, it, yeah, but it's definitely a time capsule of 2000. And the game itself captures the show pretty well. There's a lot of quotes. There's a lot of just random stuff that the characters will say. If you click on them, Daria has a ton of just kind of off-the-cuff quotes that she'll just say as you're playing the game. It is a point-and-click adventure game. So it is a use-the-thing-on-the-thing type of game where you find items and then you find where to use the item. It's fairly simply laid out. It's it's not a difficult game. It's a pretty easy game. The mechanics are easy. One thing I will give it, though, so it combines the control scheme of, like, the older point-and-click games, which would, or the kind of adventure-find-the-item type games, which would be, like, King's Quest and other things like that, uh, with the newer ones that were sort of point-and-click, where you click on things. And because you can control Daria either by clicking on where you want her to walk, you know, like Diablo or Torchlight, or you can just use the arrow keys and control her directly. And it's kind of nice because sometimes the point-and-click thing gets annoying and sometimes it's just easier to just press a direction key. So that's kind of a nice thing I have to say about the just the interface. I mean, that's to me, that's just like a little bit of extra care in making the game a little bit easier to play. It even it does and it does tell you that I mean it, it uh, at the beginning of that that's an option how to control. There is a uh, and so the game essentially the theme is with Dante's Inferno. You fall asleep during an English class where the class is about Dante's Inferno, and you just have your own little dream world, which is happening sort of in in the Inferno, but it's you know your neighborhood and your high school and stuff like that. And so I haven't gotten very far in the game. I've just kind of started it, but it's it's kind of light and it's fun. I the humor, sarcastic humor, ironic humor I get, and I it's my own kind of type of humor too. So no, so I guess I want to ask the question because I think it's important to start kind of maybe putting a context of why we return to some of these old games. Why this game now? I I think it's. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I guess to a certain extent, it's kind of not thinking about now. It's it's not sort of placed in the now, so it's a way to get away from it. Um, it's nostalgia, and for me, it's kind of a bit of good nostalgia. I was in college. I was just starting, like, uh, like university when this game came out, when the show started and when the game came out. So I was watching a lot of the show. 
and the yeah and so yeah i don't know it's a part of it is just like happier times yeah happier times in a certain sense so not necessarily even happier times different times i guess um and yeah it's a time capsule of a different time of a yeah it is coming off of the 90s and so the 90s were this sort of mixture of both the sort of kind of hyper extreme kind of edgelordism as well as a time of sort of a lot of uh malaise i guess ennui <laughs> uh of uh you know when you are sick of the 90s you are sick of life <laughs> yeah and so you know you have the and that's been associated with the sort of you know like a you know the grunge movement that's sort of uh, disaffected and so this is that's kind of what this is is kind of the into the new millennium more that type of mindset when you that was your high school and you know that was your high school experience and yeah there again it's a time capsule of when it happened but as a game it works it's actually i found the i found the game fun so far it's not frustrating it's actually fairly easy you find the thing to do the thing it's it also gives you hints so the hint system is via the kind of in show show that you just all you see is you never get to see the show itself mm. it's six, it's called six sad world and it just sort of like think tmz styled news show just like just picks the most extreme type of news and just a, a dumb extreme news and so all the hint system is you click on the thing and it'll it'll bring up so this promo for a new episode of six sad world like but yeah uh the other thing is there is a life meter on it it's it's but it's your <laughs> uh it's basically your annoyance meter uh i forget what it's actually it's called the but yeah um you just get annoyed to the point that it it resets you but it doesn't reset you by much it just sends you back to the map screen so there is sort of an overworld map screen where it's you can quick travel to wherever you want on the map if you've been there another nice thing i mean there's a lot of lot of nice little touches like that that just make the game a lot easier to play so now i don't have to walk through everything i can go directly back to where i was and it's easy to go back to the map screen the item screen is easy to look at. It gives you good descriptions of the items that are all funny. It's, yeah, it's just an easy and fun game. I You're not going to be able to find it. Good luck on that. It's not like it's a, um, I, <laughs> I checked on Amazon to see how much it is now. It's like, it's like one person selling it for $350. Jesus. This isn't, this isn't worth $350. I can't see anybody but some crazed Daria fan buying that. Um, I guess I could sell my copy, but it's not, you know, it's open. Yeah. And But the thing is, I did rip the CD because CDs go bad. And it's easier. To, it requires the CD to be in the drive. Huh. And rather not, you know, it's one of it, that was a thing for a long time. You'd had, yeah, even if you install it on your on your system. You had to have the CD itself, so I can just mount the CD in Windows 10. So you can mount an ISO, and so that's what I—that's what the way I'm playing it. But 
Yeah, uh, I think it's because still there's a thing of like it doesn't probably doesn't copy over all of the voice acting. I'm guessing, but yeah, it's a honestly a good point-and-click adventure game with a lot of little UI stuff and control stuff that actually makes it a lot easier to play. It, it's, yeah, I, I find it, yeah, like I said, it, it seems like they've taken some cues from more modern, you know, from the modern games of that time period to be like, hey, you know, we want to make a point-and-click, but we can actually, like, learn from what's made other point-and-click games more frustrating or, you know, yeah, just having an overworld map was is just very cool. And the and the two ways of controlling your movement, those are just good. Uh, the Your life meter is easy to understand. If you know the Daria logo, basically her head just keeps sinking down into it and the little color, color wheel around it kind of loses its color and that yeah yeah it's yeah that, i went back to that game and played it and had fun with it and it was good it's a good game it's like i was kind of surprised i didn't i didn't think it would hold up but the sort of ui and control kind of yeah options and enhancements well done game and honestly for you know these types of licensed games they can be real bad. Like I've I've played some licensed Not games. Not can be. Most of them are real bad. Yeah. Yeah. So this being an actual, you know, it it comes off like it could have been a cheap, just whatever game. Yeah. Seems like a, some time and effort was put into it. Definitely a lot of new voice acting was done for it too, and so and it was, it's all the original voice actors. You know, they were still working on the show at the time, yeah. so I mean, it's a timely game too, so I mean, it came out when the show was out. The show went a few seasons, you know, after after that even, but yeah, the, yeah, a surprisingly good game that if you're, if you have that nostalgia and if you're a fan of the series, works out pretty well, actually. So that's, yeah, a uh, licensed game that isn't crap. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actually watch any Daria. I just played the game. I'll probably go and watch Daria this this week. <laughs> it's oddly available now. Oh yeah, it's easy. You can get the entire series for like twenty bucks on Amazon. And the gun you were trying to figure out the name of is Lumina. Oh yes, Lumina. Okay, that's the one. Yeah, that's another one. But uh, yeah. Um. But yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't really watch. I I just continued to watch some of the shows I've been watching on on Crunchyroll. I haven't really watched anything new. I find myself still watching more cartoons than live action. Not there's. I, I've managed to burn through a shocking amount of the live action stuff I watch because they can't make it right now. So I fully understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I've been, I've obviously talked on here about shows I've watched that are not action like Legion and Doom Patrol come to mind, which I love both of those shows. You know, I'm glad that Doom Patrol continues uh, despite everything. Yeah. Yeah. But, 
yeah, that's yeah, that, that's that's pretty much what I did uh, uh did during my week so far. So yeah, yeah. So I guess it is a time for something called the news. That's weird you're doing that transition. I'm digging it though. Yeah, it's it's news time. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the same with that, no, Alex. No, it's not. Um, Right off the bat, for you Destiny fanboys out there, Bungie has delayed Beyond Light, the new big expansion, to November 10th. That is, oh, that is quite literally 50 days from it, with its previous release date in September. If you want my full thoughts on this, go listen to the Armchair Guardian podcast. We dig into it there. Uh, the concise version of that is, I'm okay with the delay so long as it's polished. Because the last yeah. one was a fucking nightmare when it came out at first. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I think, you know, rightfully so. They probably looked at it. Hopefully it was from talking to the engineers and the engineers saying, no, we need more time. We, we need all the de- yeah. developers basically saying, no, we need more time to make this better. And yeah, they're ex- as a result, they are going to extend the current seasons season to make up for it, essentially, or the, I guess... Another season, technically. Well, so, and they are extending Season of Arrivals to that point in time. I think it's like a full, you get a full extra month of Season of Arrivals and then some. So, yeah, you have no excuses not to get a lot more stuff done. I, I, I know myself, I'll probably be kind of tapering off towards the end because I'll be running out of things to do. But, yeah, no, the Moments of Triumph has been extended some. The Forerunner Seal has been extended some. So if you're if you were worried about getting those, you can absolutely get those now. And as part of this move, like they're not going to vault a lot of the content till for, till the release date and stuff. So it's not like we're gonna have a weird time gap where Nessus is gone, but no new content's happened yet either. Or I guess Leviathan. Yeah, gone. yeah, like yeah. There again, like I still am trying to get yeah yeah the the bad juju catalyst, and Nessus needs to exist for me to get that. <laughs> Indeed. Which that's a weird thing that's going to happen. I mean, I guess you know the fear of missing out. They're trying to limit it so there's not too much of it. Yep. But there are definitely some, some, you know, some exotics that are tied to these planets that are going going away, or being archived or whatever. Yep. I wonder if they'll. I haven't seen anything about this. I wonder if anything, any of those will come back in like a, you know, a cycle, a weekly. Well, so the vault is not a permanent removal from the game. Like they have, they have stated that stuff will cycle back in over time, kind of thing. Like it, we don't know what that is yet. But I guess like the thing we've talked about before that. What's the right phrase? Um. I'm, I'm blanking on the phrase now. Uh. They're also bringing some stuff from D1 back, like the Cosmodrome is coming back as part of Beyond Light, as is Vault of Glass at some point. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting thing. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it. Yeah, it's just kind of like, well, it's gonna yep. be gonna be a little later, and that's pretty much it. Indeed. Let's talk about GameStop real quick. 
uh, because we've just been kind of covering the saga and because it's kind of a forehead slapping palm moment. Uh, GameStop customers must wear now, must now wear masks, but employees are powerless to enforce this. That's dumb. That means it's pretty much a toothless enforcement. Yeah, uh, it, that, there's no better summary of that of that concept than what you just said. Yeah, I. I'm guessing it's probably really, there might be a thing in that, like, yeah, those in other countries, unaware of just how dumb it's been, people have been abusing employees because the employee says you can't come in without a mask. I think this may be a, even a, kind of a small part of, our employees are abused enough for not having the game when somebody wants it. Maybe, like, let's not also make them into security guards that have to enforce the the face masks thing. And in GameStop's defense, God, that's word sense to say out loud, th- what they are citing is the fact that there have been acts of violence and death and yep. a variety of other things perpetrated against people just doing their jobs and trying to enforce a company policy. And Yep, that's and that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. So there, there's... There's actually good reasons for kind of, you know, not, you know, making the employees enforce this thing. That's, in, for some reason, in America, is a dangerous thing to do. But in the U.S. is a dangerous thing to do. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much all I have to say about that. That shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't be a thing. But, anyways. Yeah, I... This is just incredibly dumb. Like, the fact that GameStop fought for we need to be open and then... Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Where to go next? Uh, Metacritic. Uh, famous online review site for video games and all that jazz. They congregate lots of data. It's now going to put a 36-hour delay on fan reviews because of apps of fucking loot lately. They should. Yeah, to prevent review bombing before, you know, blatantly before the game even exists. Yeah, it's so, uh, for those who kind of don't follow this news as closely as we do, because you have better things going on and you don't stare into the abyss on a daily basis like we choose to, um, sites like Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic have had an ongoing problem with review bombing. And review bombing often shows up where either, like, within minutes of something being available or before something even exists to the general public, you'll rack up a shocking number of negative reviews on something. Like, almost an impossible number. Like, someone was waging a campaign against something. And The Last of Us 2 got it especially bad as part of this release cycle. Like, we're not saying The Last of Us 2 was good or bad. We're just saying that there was definitely an organized campaign of people pissed off about that game that chose to try and deliberately sync that thing's release, and one of the tactics they took was to review bomb on Metacritic, and it was, like, there's no defense on this one. Not that what they were doing is good or bad, but, like, there's no way of looking at what happened on the site to be like, no, just that many people don't like the game, given the speed and time from it which bad reviews showed up. Again, we're not saying that, like, if you don't like The Last of Us 2, you're wrong. I'm kind of with you, but but for totally different reasons than what this whole thing was about, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Also, Metacritic is terrible and you shouldn't use it anyway, but that's a separate other topic. They assign scores to websites that don't assign scores. Like, keep that in mind, always. Got some Ubisoft update. Uh, no, actually, let's save that until we do a whole Ubisoft thing at the end. Let's talk about Stadia. Evan said that sentence in a while. So, Google did a sort of a Google Direct thing, I guess. Which neither of us knew happened until after the fact. Like, if you're wondering how big yeah. a deal they made out of it. Yeah, and so, yeah, um, apparently there's going to be a something they call click-to-play, which means you'll be able to play a game directly instead of having to go through the Stadia interface first. So it's a, it can be URL-based, or it's just like a kind of double-click type of thing. But I'm like, you must really have no great news about Stadia if this is your highlight. And it kind of, there isn't. There's like, the Google Direct was sort of very, like, sure, there is nothing in it that was, like, exciting or interesting. It's just kind of like, now you can play Stadia games like you would play any other video game. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't really... Yeah, I, I kind of don't get it. Yeah, I... Stadia, I... In a time where, like, COVID should have made you potentially more plausible and given more people a reason to maybe check you out, what the fuck? Yeah. And I, I guess kind of in that same breath, because we're talking about, we're talking about stream, uh, streaming tech, wow, I can't talk today, apparently, xCloud, the biggest, most viable competitor in some ways to Stadia from a, like, your games on all platforms, whenever the fuck you want perspective is going to be part of an Xbox Games Ultimate Pass. Which sure as hell makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think we've been saying yeah. Microsoft should do, which is put all their services in one big-ass Game Pass. They're doing... I guess they're going to do it. Yep. Starting in September. I suspect that also means uh, xCloud will be a realer thing in September. And I've used it. It, it, it works. It works the way you think it should, unlike Stadia, that occasionally feels like looping through hoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not in the fun way. Yeah. As we close out the console generation, um, the, the two kind of bigs have a different philosophy on this one. Sony got out there and said that there's still plenty of life left in the PS4. Um, new stuff is coming. I, I suspect that means it'll be kind of cross- platform stuff not the, well that's the thing they aren't really they don't they've actually made it clear that they don't really like the idea of cross platform yeah no i was gonna yes. follow up with that but so, they've also said we don't like cross platform yeah and so that is a departure well no, or a difference anyway from what microsoft has said about xbox in that no we we'd like to actually have cross development cross platform development for a while so that people don't feel forced to buy a, you know, Xbox sex when they already have, you know... But a, you also know. at the same time, they're shutting down production of two of them. Yeah. So yeah, you'll no longer be able to get the Xbox Series S download version. You only... Uh, they'll But they'll continue the Xbox Series S uh, itself. 
But yeah, the yeah, that it makes sense that they're slowing down production because they want to focus their production on the newer console, yeah. but not leaving people out. Whereas, yeah, it seems like Sony is, and I can see, I can see reasons why doing both. No, and I think it's also one of those ones. Where at least my interpretation on the PS4 thing is, the PS2 was in production for a long ass time. PS3, eh, eh. PS4 was <laughs> up there with the PS2 in like beloved console status. So they'll have never been a better time to have bought a PS4 in some ways, and like a year and a half when the prices start dropping significantly and. You can go back and God of War and Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us 2 and just all of the great, like, Spider-Man, I know I'm missing a bunch, like, all of the great Sony exclusives and other kind of great games of the PS4 just waiting for you there. Like, I don't do it, but the people that go back and play consoles, like, kind of after the console generation is done, they have the best time because they get to have the best games and there's no, like, oh, that game actually sucked, turned out. Yep. You get all your games pre-reviewed for you, and everything costs like half as much. Yeah, and you can be like, okay, I'm gonna. It's like all three of these games are part of a trilogy. You're now playable in one succession, so I can play them all at one time. That'll be cool, and it is. Yeah, I've definitely counted on that. So yeah, I like. uh, I have Neo Geo Pocket Color, and (laughs) yeah, Uh. which is actually a great portable system. It's a, it has awesome games actually. Like it's a great portable system. Um, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, but yeah, I bought it really at well after the, I bought it used after you know it, it had kind of seen actual life. But it was a neat system. It even had a link cable to link it to a Dreamcast. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah I definitely get the buying a system after after it's already kind of done its cycle, you, you end up being able to already know what are the good games? What should I actually buy for this? Yeah. Enough of your old man gaming technology talk, though. On to our next news topic. Games for change. Just, that was the link I was making. Do I get so, the background ga- on this one? I, th- I feel you'll do it ju- better justice than I will. So, it's been going for a few years now, but Games for Change is essentially it's for games that are kind of for the uh, they are rewarding the good use of technology for bettering society for you know the uh, creating games that actually are kind of in a certain way you know ethically good uh it's it's games that are you know kind of supporting good ideas and the phrase I just they're pushing forward, I guess, and I think the the yeah. list of nominees and winners will make sense. So, in the best gameplay category, you had Arise, A Simple Story, Dear Reader, Mosaic, and Sky: Children of Light. The winner of that was Sky: Children of Light. In most innovative, That's... you had Concrete, Dream, Sea of Solitude, and Sky: Children of Light again. Dreams took that category. Most significant impact, you had Eliza, Life is Strange Two, Sea of Solitude, and Sweet X Heart. Uh, sea of Solitude won that one. Uh, best learning games. That would be hmm? probably Sweet Cross Heart. But... That makes more sense, yeah. In best learning games, you had Fun Expected Math, dear God. Might Bringer, Rabbit's Coding, um, Psyops. Mightier. Hmm? Mightier. Oh, oh I, I looked at Mightier. What did I say? 
Nightbringers. Oh, Mightier. It's weird autocorrect in my brain. Uh, for best learning game, and Rabbits Coding won that. That's a game that indeed teaches you to code in case there was some confusion. In best student game, you had Apollo, Gamer Girl, Plasticity, and Resilience. Uh, Res uh, Resilience won that one. Gamer Girl got a bunch of weird flack this weekend. Interesting game. Hmm. And for best XR for change, you had Bonfire, Escape to the Future, Paper Beast, and The Holy City, and The Holy City won. And so XR, if you're not familiar, that refers to both, uh, uh, includes both uh, AR, augmented reality, and VR, virtual reality. Oh, I've never heard that term before. Yeah, it's it's kind of being used as a catch-all for that now. So. No, it makes sense. Like The differences between the two are arguably kind of, they're there, but also kind of superfluous enough that it's like, yeah, just put them in one category for more options. I have to say, like, fun expected math, uh, it's, I think a real challenge is making people feel like math is accessible. Like, I feel like, A, often it's taught incorrectly. Sure. And not sort of in a way that's easier for people to grasp. And this game does it. It does it in kind of fun ways. The graphic style is good. It's just fun and good nice looking graphic style it's yeah it, being a person as a stem person as a math you know as a person who's i've taught math and it's not easy to teach and you kind of have to run at it from a lot of different directions so that people will understand it because it's almost embedded in people uh, one way or another by cultural society that math is hard math is this thing that's inaccessible it's just we um, I don't believe that's true, and I don't see it borne out. Whenever you, like, I've been a tutor for math as yeah. well as a as a teacher, and it's a lot of times people have put up their own sort of barriers to it. They had a bad experience with it, maybe, or a bad experience with a teacher, and they've kind of told themselves that that they. That they aren't good, in, you know. I'm not good at math. That's a. That's a big catch-all term. But b. That may well be incorrect. And yeah, I I think anything that can make learning fun. But yeah, that's the thing. Like you look at a lot of these games, they are either culturally interesting and or you know exploring boundaries or exploring sort of an experience that many maybe not everybody knows. Maybe they're being just purely innovative in terms of exploring imagination and what's possible and the boundaries of what we call a game. And, you know, that's why there's different categories, most significant impact, you know, and then best learning game, you know, that's, you know, more for just education. But yeah, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of because the idea of like best game, like just like how what yeah. does that even mean? Like you know, I'm not gonna you know I'm not really knocking the game awards, but in a lot of ways it's like, and that's what we even run into when we've kind of done our when we do our own sort of yearly game awards thing is like, what does it even mean to be best? And yeah, and in this case, this is more directed in like. Well, I think it's one of those right, ones where kind of like. Movie awards have sub awards, not sub awards, but kind of 
more focused towards, I guess. It's important to have stuff like this, too, where it kind of it gives games that maybe aren't the most mass-appealing games, but they're important still, recognition. Yeah, and in this case, I, I like the categories. I think the categories are... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just. We've talked about games for change yeah. every year, yep. so I mean. Well, we're talking about it now. Keep with the trend. Uh PUBG sold seven million copies, or has sold seven million copies. Feel about that as you will. I guess people do still play yeah, it. I it's guess it's huge outside of the U.S. Like inside the U.S., it's all Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite. Outside mm. of the U.S., PUBG is king. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think, well, well, I don't even know. I think, I was just thinking PUBG, maybe it runs on on uh, lesser computers than Fortnite, but I don't it's know. It's available Fortnite's... in China, which I don't think Fortnite is. I don't think it is. It yeah, is I, by that very measure alone, it has a giant potential audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no speculation there, though. Before we get to our Ubisoft topic of the week, I suppose. Um, remember last week we talked about last week, two weeks ago. I don't know what this. But we talked about last, the um uh, Army's Twitch stream. Yep, it's come up again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to go back to another topic we talked about at one point that again was kind of weirdly, maybe not weirdly, but like. A little bit less tongue-in-cheek or a little bit less gaming news and more like these are real legal action, uh, legal problems. Remember COPA? Well, so the U.S. Army has been doing fake giveaways that are actually kind of, that were information gathering that may have violated COPA. And in general, it's just fraudulent. Yeah. You can't do fraudulent. That's on Twitch's now... On Twitch's own terms of service, you can't do fraudulent giveaways. And also just... Uh, but yeah, basically it was a link that they would put in the chat, like, click here to get a free free, uh, you know, PS, you know, PS4 controller. was one of them, I believe. It was specifically... Yeah. No, Xbox Elite Series 2 controller. Uh, but it would just take them to an army sign-up thing where it gets your, your army, you know, get more information. But, you know... That's also maybe breaking COPA, too. Because kids watch this channel. I don't think it's in it. As far as I know, it's not a, a mature content channel. So Well, and like to make it extra weird, for those of you that have not had a friend or have gone through yourself or aren't aware of what happens once the U.S. military is aware of your existence in a recruitable fashion, they are relentless with some frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm just, it's just gross. Yep. We have enough army propaganda. Like the movie, there's a whole moot thing with the movie industry in the army. And yeah, I don't want to go into all of yeah. that, but just I think the channel is also gross because it's obviously appealing to children. Well, there's also and a that, chance that, that at least the ACLU is arguing that indeed banning people from it is unconstitutional. Remember we talked about that last, yep, last we did. week, too? So, yep, the ACLU is like, well, you know. There's already been a court decision on this one, and yeah, since you know, since the Trump's pre, you know the presidential Twitter account, they cannot ban people. It may be also on the exact same way illegal to ban people from the Army's channel. 
They cannot because there again, there's a very specific thing in our Constitution, in the U.S. Constitution, about First Amendment. Freedom of speech means that the government cannot impede your speech. And in this case, it is, yeah, uh, that, that was the basis of the, of the Twitter and thing that's also should be the basis for a thing about. But I am not totally surprised, but a little bit surprised that the ACLU decided to weigh in on this one. But I think it is important because it's like, if you don't want dissenting voices, I mean, that's, that's clearly the government censoring free speech. Is that the thing? It's like, yeah, there's trolls. You can ban them for troll. Maybe you can ban them for abusive behavior, but they would just get a Twitch ban anyways because of that. You can just report them to Twitch. But in this case, they shouldn't be able to ban people for, say, what's been being done, which is like posting, you know, war crimes that the U.S. Army has in, been engaged in and, and isn't currently engaged in, or just, you know, the history of the U.S. Army, or you know, this, this is what it's really like, or, you know, P, you know, now tell us about PTSD. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, they shouldn't be able to say, no, you can't talk about any bad army stuff on our propaganda channel. We have a First Amendment in our Constitution that's specifically against that. So, I hope the ACLU brings a proper suit. It's not clear whether they are... So far, because they, they have to find somebody that's been banned, is what happened. What, what would need to happen so that they would have standing. But yeah, uh, yep, yeah, ARMY being real gross. I mean, literally a fake giveaway. Could they make it any more clear that they're be highly unethical? Like, completely and utter utterly void of any ethics whatsoever? Yeah, this one's not great. That's just really gross. I mean, oh, that's obviously a Twitch channel. Like, that's 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 where it gets weird. Well, and and like what they're trying to, you know, what they use to give it away, which is a video game controller. Obviously, they're getting some minors, and that's really gross yep. and illegal. By the same institution that gives the money, but let's move on to Ubisoft now, shall we? Sure. All right, we're gonna start this off with um, Christoph. Derness, I'm hoping I'm getting that right. Is now Duren? Hmm? probably just Duren. Duren, yeah, yeah. I can't pronounce French names. I do apologize for that. It's they become tongue twisters for me. Too many R's, too many N's. Typically, it doesn't matter. Uh he's been named the new head of Ubisoft Montreal because, well, no one's fucking left there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, uh, but the big Ubisoft news is obviously last week while the podcast was happening, they're not E3, totally an E3 event happened, and yeah, well, we're going to run through that real quick. Um, there was a pre-show, it was the kind of typical cringy pre-show, showed off some Odyssey stuff, um, showed off some trials. Division 2 stuff, Trials, yeah, the, probably the biggest takeaway from that is Trials, bringing back the giant track, which is already here if you attention to these things like i'll go so far as to say that maybe trials is the only thing ubisoft keeps making that i'm like actively invested in on an instance to instance basis which i find incredibly sad we got some information on ghost recon breakpoint because sure and then we got our we got some we got another look at uh watchdogs legion as part of this we got kind of a weird mix of gameplay trailer which 
yep, looks like Watch Dogs Legion, and we got a very stylized, farmed-out, guest-directed trailer that looks nothing like the game from both a tone and style-wise kind of thing. Like, that was kind of a weird choice on their part. Um, also, maybe in the future, don't use a famous poem about kind of the Jewish, uh, not the Jewish, the, the rise of Nazis to goose video game sales. Just, just food for thought on that one. Yes, uh, salespeople stop ruining developers' work. Yeah. Like, seriously, stop ruining developers' work. People work very hard to develop these games, and then you just run in and, like, well, do something completely, like, there. I, I don't even have a word to describe how just wrong that is to kind of use that as a sales thing. It's just, like, I, there's there's not a word to really describe how wrong it is other than, like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to throw this one out there because it, to be, I guess, totally accurate on this one. Like, that wasn't even Ubisoft's marketing department. That was the guest director video thing, teaser thing they did. Like, which we have no idea how much involvement they did or did not have. And that that was the one that caused this problem. Like, for better or worse, Ubisoft has demonstrated in the past they may be at least tone aware enough to not do that. But again, they did show this as part of their E3 thing. So, obviously not. I, yeah, I... I don't know what I think of Watch Dogs Legions at this point. I kind of lean towards I don't care about this because it's more Watch Dogs, but it, I, I know you're excited for it, Henry, and I think like if you're excited for it, the Legion gameplay stuff looked good. It's got drones you can ride and stuff, which could be fun for open-world purposes, but man, does that whatever marketing team is behind that game keep working their hardest to polarize people in not a productive way. Yeah, I mean the gameplay to me looks cool. Yeah, the, the gameplay like, looks good. It, like it, it's, I, I've never like said Watch Dogs plays bad. It's the story of Watch Dogs I've always been kind of eh on. Yeah, I like the fact that you can you know recruit people. I assume there's sort of a randomness to the generation of people that you can recruit. I watched some stuff that was talking about it, and it's it's not clear how that works exactly because I guess it's a mix of random but also a like there are specific people you will have to recruit at certain points yeah but you can recruit quite a large team so the roster when they show the like the size of your roster it can get quite big so yeah. you have a lot of choices and i like that i like that idea and yeah there again the gameplay looks good and yeah that's a game i'd be interested in picking up yeah that's the goal of this thing they then showed off uh, more Brawlhalla, so getting lots of crossplay. In other news, Brawlhalla still exists. Yep. Wish Alex was here for this. I think of the three of us, he's the one that plays that game and has like <laughs> fun things to say about it. It's like, yeah, this is a thing. Yeah, I've played it a couple of times. It's a fun game. It's it's very Smash Brothers. Yeah, but better. I, yeah, minus items and stuff. I yeah I. I don't know who the audience for Brawlhalla is. But the audience is expanding to mobile on August 6th, so... Yeah. Yay. Elite Squad, a game that no one seems to know what the hell it is, comes out August 27th. Uh, once again, we were... Those of us that like the Splinter Cell franchise were left disappointed where that's how Sam Fisher showed up at a Ubisoft press conference, but 
Okay. We got more looks on at a Hyperscape, that uh, Battle Royale game that both me and Alex played. It, yeah. I've, I tried to play it. I just, my computer can't handle it. I, I, I played more of it. I don't like it that much. I'm learning. Like, I think so. I, so I was listening to someone talk about how, like, the guns in that game feel like they don't pack enough of a punch. And that made me click on what my issue with the game, which is, yeah, the, the time to kill for that game is unbelievably high for a game that like has that high maneuverability and uh, mobility system to it it's yeah i i get why you might do that but it feels bad on pc i guess as a result of it but i don't play left of battle royales so i'm sure people are enjoying this but yeah ubisoft seemed to focus on the world of hyperscape which seems strange for a battle royale game because pubg and fortnite have kind of perpetually taught us this doesn't need to have that much of an explanation as to why the hell it exists. If you know the game is good and fun. But I also mm -hmm. know that uh, Apex Legends has gotten a lot of mileage out of, yo, here are characters and story-driven things and reasons to play this. So, yeah. I, the beta's out there right now with a free game pass. If you're not aware of that and you wanted to check this out, it has not come to consoles. So in a kind of weird way... You can watch Twitch streams of this and get stuff from the Battle Pass for your console account, essentially, which, that sounds dystopia as fuck in a weird way and, like, a weird abuse of marketing abilities, but, hey, I'm sure people are doing it, so that's a thing you can be doing right now. Yep. Next up, we have Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Or, let's just say, Viking game. Yeah, that's. I this is the first Assassin's Creed game since Black Flag I will probably buy, but also I'm not buying it because it's an Assassin's Creed game, I'm buying it because it's a Viking RPG, and really Ubisoft, stop making Assassin's Creed games and just make our historical tourism games. That's pretty much what they've been doing for a while No, now. they keep slipping Animus stuff in there, and they still have, like, disconnect or desynchronization bullshit. And they keep going back to pieces of Eden. Like, they put just enough Assassin's Creed bullshit in there for me to go get the Assassin's Creed bullshit out of these otherwise fine games. But, yeah, you, you've successfully lucked into a... In the same way that Ghost of Tsushima plays with a culture and historical context and combat perspective and stuff that I, as a consumer, find interesting... I will also play the fuck out of any game involving Vikings in this type of style. So, yeah, look forward to me talking about Valhalla in a couple months when it comes out. So, November 17th. See, I just see things in it that I'm, like, really not interested in. Like, it has a whole survival thing. Oh, you have to find your own food yeah. and forage for it. It's like, no, that's the boring part. That's why in most, like, movies and TV shows, you don't see people doing that. Because it's boring and dumb. Oh no, and I don't mind that stuff, I guess. But also, like, I don't play... I don't play a lot of survival games, so when I do play a game that has that as a mechanic, I'm less annoyed by it, I guess. Like, it's... It depends on the game, too. Like, in context of this, it seems to make a little bit more sense because it's... big, open-worldy camping thing. Like, the fact I'm not forced to hunt for food and make food in... Um... Tsushima feels weird, especially after... God, what's the game I'm thinking of? Uh, Red Dead Redemption kind of incentivized you to go about that system some. Like it, it, 
like yeah. I, I mentioned why like in the you know, I played the Tomb Raider game, which is like you know, it's like has this first intro part which is like, hey, it's Tomb Raider. Yeah. Then it goes into survival game. I'm like, what the fuck? What is what was this you know, what was this like bait and switch bullshit? Well and that's just yeah. game style choices at that point too. Like that yeah, yeah. The the new Tomb Raider game's been much more kind of stealth action survival games than traditional Tomb Raider games. But it, but I'm talking about the one that pretty puts you in the middle of a fucking frozen forest and is like, now you have to build and hunt and do all this bullshit. Yeah, but that's the sequel to the first new Tomb Raider game, so that's that's, that's at least I was expecting out of that game, because like, yeah, it's, it's more Tomb Raider. This is going to be that. But it's not more Tomb Raider. It's... it's more of what Tomb Raider now is, I guess. Like, yes, it's not historical Tomb Raider at that point, but well, I mean, but that one is specifically, you're in the middle of a forest and you have to do bullshit survival. And um, did you not play the one it's the sequel to? Like, you're on the you're on an island and you had to do bullshit survival there by that definition. Like, I... I guess I didn't. I yeah, just think, alright, so I, I just think that's a... I'm totally yeah, fine that's with you a not part liking of the game. it. I'm just gonna point yeah. out the fact that, like, it was a direct sequel to that was the main focus of that game. Like, that that's... And, and it seems like Valhalla has too much of that to make me interested yeah. in it. I I I kind of like the idea of the city building aspect. That reminds me in a good way of some other games, but the survival bullshit. No, there's a reason why most of the time, like in a movie or TV show, you don't see people shit unless it's a part of the plot. It, because sure, it's it's stuff that doesn't really need to be seen. It's just like assumed. I assume that people are eating and hunting. I don't need to actually do that in between filler, like purely filler bullshit to make the game seem bigger than it is. No, sure, and I guess, that, and I go the opposite direction where the more role playing as a Viking you can give me, that like gives me that extra level of immersion that hopefully pushes out more Assassin's Creed bullshit out of that game, the better in my book. But also, like in context, the last three Assassin's Creed games have not been tight games. They've been sprawling collectathons of uh, open-worldness that either you've loved or you've hated. Like, I've heard nothing but good things about them, but I haven't cared about Egypt or the Greeks, but I'll play a Viking game because I'm predictable that way. Yeah, I guess uh, it's... Uh, Alright, so I have a certain level of immersion that I like. I guess there's, there's immersion versus just realism. Sure. And... There's things that I don't care to do in real life that I don't want to just replicate in a game. I mean, there's a reason I don't... I've never really thought about really playing Animal Crossing. There's too much about Animal Crossing that's just, like, shitty things I have to do in real life. I don't feel like doing those also in a video game. No, yeah, and again, I'm not saying one thing's better than the other. I just think it's, again, like, this is the third sequel to... Second, se- it's the third in what new what new Assassin's Creed games are, and this is the game they've Origins been Origins and, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and it's one of those and like, Odyssey. And yeah. as someone who like is into that in some games, like it, I enjoy the hunting in Red Dead Redemption, and I enjoy I play Animal Crossing. Like, yeah, I I enjoy that they're giving up maybe needlessly immersive level for the Viking video game they're making. I'm not even gonna call it. I'm just gonna call it Valhalla or the Viking video game at this point because 
the Assassin's Creed part of it just in my mind and goes, yeah, it'll be there. And notice not that, much. The, that the dumb spike, the arm spike, isn't he? I didn't even see that in the game. So they made a point, trailer. at least in one of the gameplay things, of showing off, yeah, it's a hidden blade, shut up about the dumb arm spike already, which I think is a smart choice, but I now miss the dumb arm spike because I'm like, I... I'm really hoping this game doesn't go out of its way to justify how the fuck it's an Assassin's Creed game, but I know it will, and that terrifies well, it did, me. It already did in it, in the trailers. Like occasionally, you are a spy. Why? You just what do you? Otherwise, you just roll in and literally set fire to roofs and shit. Stealth Viking. You have to be a stealth Viking sometimes because reasons. I'm because okay you have to, with that. Stealth, stealth with axes is dumb and fun in my book. Like, again, it's an Assassin's Creed game. I don't go to them for historical realism. I go to them for power fantasy RPGing. But yeah, it is just like it is obvious that they're just shoving that bullshit in there, yeah. t- oh, no. so they it, can still say, "Oh, it's Assassin's Creed." If you could- in what fucking way? If Ubisoft could stop making Assassin's Creed games and just making cool moments from history games that, like, glorify warriors or something or that type of thing, I think they'd be better off for it. I would play more of them at this point, but... Yeah, stop just trying to shoehorn in Assassins into games that clearly are not about Assassins. No matter how hard you fucking shoehorn in some bullshit stealth mission into your... Viking game where you set houses on fire. I, I'm okay with stealth missions even. It's more the like rest of the Assassin's Creed kitsch where it's like the wrist blade and the animus and like the parts that tie that thing together as a franchise. Those are what I'm done with at this point. Like any franchise that wants to bring me Viking rap battles as a mechanic, I'm in. Like as much as I didn't know I wanted haiku sessions in Ghost of Tsushima, them being there made me go like, yeah, these are awesome in their own weird way. I also cannot wait for Valhalla's goddamn Viking rap battles in the same like I don't know I don't want this, but I suspect I'll find them fun as hell. For all the dumb reasons. Yeah, they really just need to stop acting like they're still making Assassin's Creed well, they, games. Well, they technically are. They just shouldn't anymore. Because, yeah. Yeah. And I guess last but not least in our game reveals, we did indeed have Far Cry 6, which... I think I'm just done thinking about Far Cry games ever, courtesy of this trailer. I... I haven't liked them since 3. I thought 4 was kind of a bad game. I thought 5 was just lazy. That sequel to 5 that was the post-apocalyptic 5 was just like, yeah, this is even lazier, and... This trailer is a hell of a trailer for a Breaking Bad spinoff. Don't think it's a good Far Cry game trailer. Well, I think they ran into the same problem with, like, what do any of the Far Cries since 2 have been thematically the same about well, so them at all. That I can explain. The, the, the Far Cry franchise, as a premise, is about, technically speaking, a stranger in a strange place that's kind of answering the hero's call kind of thing. That's what all of the games are. Uh, in every game, you play as someone that's kind of new to the locality or the job or the region in some way, shape, or form, and they kind of rise to the challenge, which... 
if that is indeed the ties that bind all Far Cry games together, that is indeed what happens. Beyond That's that, there's like nothing. practically many millions of games. Yes, and that is the criticism of that argument, and in the same way that kind of I want Ubisoft to just make cool moments from history tourism games, I know it's mildly hypocritical for me to be like, maybe make your Far Cry games link up a little bit better, but also... I mean, you might as well say that they all have guns. That's about as generic as, but like... they don't, he actually. Hero, you know, hero rising up to the challenge. That's all video games, practically. I mean, that's... It, sure. And that's, I, I, that's Super Mario Brothers. I mean, come the fuck on. I, that's that's not really a thread in between the games. I'm not going to spend time critiquing why Far Cry 6, like Far Cry 5, did well. It made money. You're going to get Far Cry 6. They have a formula that at least works for them. This one appears to take place in Cuba. It's not quite clear what the relationship between the main character and the villain will be this time around. I, I it seems a lot. So it seems a lot like the Far Cry Four. Maybe yeah, it definitely has a freedom fighter vibe to it, which I guess all of them have technically kind of had, depending on how you think about it. I, it appears this one will focus on fire potentially, which will be a return to the franchise's roots in some ways, but. I, yeah, I, in typical Far Cry fashion, I have no idea what the fuck this Far Cry game is again, except for it's a Far Cry game, so it'll have guns, strongholds, open world bullshit of some kind, vehicles, like, I'm not expecting to change up the script that much, like, I don't think you're gonna play as the kid they showed off in the trailer, but who knows? Um, Juan Carlo did a hell of a job acting up that, voice acting that character, like, the point where I don't know why it's not just a live action trailer. Yeah. It's a hell of a good live action a video game version of Juan Carlo. Yeah. Which you were bringing up, the guy doesn't speak Spanish or something too, which makes Yeah, he doesn't weirder. actually speak Spanish. Uh, that's the thing that was evident in Breaking Bad. He doesn't speak Spanish. Yeah. He's like, he's like grew up in Italy. I mean, he's, he has... Yeah. Allegedly, this game takes place in a place modeled after Cuba, so we'll see how that goes over. I, 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 I in typical, it's going to be all in English, so I mean, it doesn't really matter. No, nah, they've uh, been okay with that in the past. They throw at least some local dialect in. I, that's maybe not okay, but like, we'll see. I, I, I'm done with Far Cry games. I think if he can't just speak basic Spanish, oh, Cuban Spanish, I don't. Not sure I want to hear him try to do yeah. Cuban Spanish. Because that's, that's a whole other world. Like, if you can't just, like, do basic kind of Spanish, yeah, like Cuban Spanish is even more difficult. Oh, yeah, I know. And if they spin that off into, like, guy that rolled up and took over a Spanish country, or Spanish-speaking country, that could be a fun twist on it. But, yeah, yeah, more Far Cry. Either you like it or you don't at this point. Um... Or, as we've kind of made it clear, more here's a game that has a franchise slapped on it just because the franchises are a thing. Yeah, I, I, but I also, like, the, the, Far Cry, the Far Cry games are similar enough where, like, yeah, we can nitpick the fact it's different locations every time. Like, we, we could nitpick anything if we so chose to. They are all undeniably Far Cry games. Like, I... I was just kind of hoping after 5 and the just slide whistle that was that game's existence, we all were done with Far Cry games, but apparently not. 
And that's more or less it from the Ubisoft presser thing. Uh, they did announce that there will be a another forward sometime later this summer. Uh, it, it ended with, uh, yes, uh, can you pronounce the last name better than I can? Again, I, I apologize for not being able to do a lot of French last Durin? names. Durin? Hmm? Durin? No, uh, Gilmore. Or, or, oh. Uh, who? The CEO guy. Oh, the, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Guillemot? Yeah. He got out there and mentioned that this was happening, that they would show off more from some other games, so maybe that gives us some hope about hearing something about gods and monsters or beyond good and evil at some point this summer, but man, does it feel like those two games might be dead. Yeah, well, could, Beyond Good and Evil 2, we already mentioned that. It's just like, that just looks dumb. It I've... just looks... Dumb. It could be cool. They have not made me think it will be cool. Uh, I don't really know anything about Gods and Monsters. Have we talked about that even? It's been a couple years since that thing was relevant. I think it was at, it had a really weird trailer a couple years ago, if I'm remembering correctly, and nothing. Oh yeah. Since. Oh yeah. I remember. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Beyond Good and Evil just wasn't a franchise that needed to be returned to. It was a nice, even self-contained story. It does not need a prequel, especially a grimdark prequel. A super, stupidly grimdark prequel. But, yeah. Well, we, again, we, I, I, like in a weird twist, we know so little about that game. Who knows what that game even is at this point? They've showed but off two we, trailers. Well, but what we do know about it is, like, Here's the protagonist from the first game, but she's evil when she I think was it's a her kid. Mom. No, I think it's her mom, technically. Like it's, no. There's a cloning no, aspect her. to it or something, I've heard, oh, but who knows. Well, that, that's even more dumb. Yep. And and unnecessary to the nice self-contained story of Beyond Good and Evil. Oh yeah, no, kind of like in the same way that Last of Us 2 did not need a sequel, and that should be the thing a lot of people have been taking away from Last of Us 2. Beyond Good and Evil didn't need a sequel necessarily, especially, especially one 20 years later. And one that's thematically, like, just not, does not flow with the first, with the first one. We don't even first know what that game's themes are at this point. Like, I, I, I It just I, yeah. seems super grimdark. Just, just ultra fucking 90s. Triple Extreme Grimdark. Maybe. Who knows? I again, like, we know so little about that game, I'm not gonna condemn it for being one thing or the other, except seemingly lost in development, which is never a good sign. Yeah, probably they probably, probably saw enough of, you know, people like me sort of saying our opinion of what we think of, like, at the sequel even existing, let alone the weird tone shift and, like, why? Why even? Just leave the game as yep. it was. Yep. It's a relic of the past, and it does not need to be returned to. Indeed. That leads us to email, I suppose. We're done with news. Email? Email, indeed. WickedAwesomeCast at gmail.com. Spells it sounds down the show notes. Etcetera, etcetera. Um... We got three and a half emails this week. I say half because the first email we're going to go through is, um, please stop sending us spam. Uh, please, people trying to chase social media clout, stop contacting us over our Instagram page. I, I get that it does weirdly well occasionally with some of the weird pictures we post that are the thumbnails for our podcasts, but <laughs> trust me, they're not going to boost your metrics. 
Just yeah. throwing that one out there. Stop emailing <laughs> me about wanting to use them. Hell, if you put even a second of time into finding them, half of them are just like presser releasers from various gaming sites or ga gaming publishers or developers that are kind of public fair use at that point that I've just cropped in a way to make them fit an Instagram and dropped our skull logo in half the time. Like, fuck, last week's was just <laughs> the warhorse, like, reporting things. I thought that was a cool image, and we talked about that a bunch at the end. Like, yeah, no, I'm just putting you on blast because I can right now, and that amuses me. Yeah. But not for real emails. This one comes in from Marshall in Pittsburgh, PA. Hey, Wicked Awesome cast. How long do you think it will be until we get shows or movies set during COVID? I remember that there were a few 9-11 movies over the years, that so that, that always mm. um, was already a precedent, but it feels like COVID would be a perfect setting for inspiration for some real bad writing of some kind. Maybe the oh, next oh, um, no. Homefront uses COVID as for a video game gamification oh, of COVID no. as its inciting incident. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. I think we're going to see some amazing B-movies come out Probably. We've already like, seen some kind of like bizarrely well-timed B-movies. Um, I'm blanking on that horror movie came out that was about zombie apocalypse stuff. Like, it, was, it was Native Americans and the zombie apocalypse that had a whole like white invasion subtext to it that was a really fucking good horror movie. I'm blanking on the name. I don't think I saw it. Yeah, I don't know, it. I don't know that movie. Yeah, I... Oh, uh, blood quantum. Life okay, blood quantum. Hmm. Um, a lifetime movie about COVID. Those may already exist. Yes, yeah. N n me personally, knowing how fast their turnaround is on making those movies, yeah, <laughs> probably already one out there. I suspect we'll see a couple like weird indie games about like staying and staying sane inside of a house or something like that. I, I'm picturing more indie stuff. Maybe picks this up as kind of a narrative story because there are stories to tell as part of COVID quarantine and things that are human stories. That's where that stuff seems to happen, both in video yeah. games and movies and in TV, I guess. But I don't think we're gonna get like Homefront because COVID would be a terrible game, but also virus used as explanation for FPS reasons existing is already a trope and doesn't necessarily have to be COVID at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I arguably The Last of Us already kind of beat everyone to the punch with that, depending on how you think about that thing. Yeah. Thank you for writing in, uh, Marshall. Next up, we got one from Nathan. Wicked awesome cast. Not sure if this made it into the news. Uh, news was this week since it's been... Ma uh, sorry, I'll restart this one. Not sure if this made it onto the news list this week since... Okay, that it was since twice. Since I think it's been mentioned you try to cover streaming drama and news that isn't really news. Yeah, we do not try not to cover that. But you may have seen a bunch of sites follow up on inter up, up interviews with Dr. Disrespect that were essentially clickbait. All the articles I saw essentially boiled down to, yep, still banned, at least nothing, and at least claiming not to know anything. It's been almost a month, and any thoughts on the whole situation? Um... I think he's playing dumb. I think it's. I think there's a chance of that, but the thing is, there's kind of an equal chance of Twitch being famously opaque and un and unclear with how they do anything. Oh, I think both. I think I think he's playing coy on this one, but I also think that Twitch has not told him everything going on on this one, 
and it's working overtime to make sure whatever caused this to happen is offloaded completely onto him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I could get both. Why not both? Yeah. 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 I maybe I'm giving the guy too much credit, but I think like if I suddenly found myself perma banned, it seems from a major. If I was a major streamer on a site that like I'd made a bunch of money and I found myself perma banned, I'd at least potentially have an inkling of what I did wrong to wind up there. Like. Maybe it's like yeah. one of five or six things, but I'd have a couple guesses. Yeah. And the fact that he hasn't really taken up streaming anywhere else, as far as I know, I think further suggests that, like, like dude could go to YouTube, good dude could have gone to Facebook Gaming. I don't think he has any exclusivity with Twitch anymore because they kicked his ass off because of this whole thing. The fact he hasn't, that's the more damning part, I guess, in my mind. Hmm. In what way? Why would he not want to go streaming somewhere uh, else? Uh, because it looks bad. Like, it, again, purely hypothesizing at this point, like, if this is for, we've, been, we've guessed that in the past, like, that whole bathroom streaming thing, showing that after you got shut down, like, if you can, sh if you basically demonstrate that you don't give a fuck about the fact that, like, you got in trouble, that does not look good from a legal standpoint. Like, if I was guessing, I suspect a lawyer may have been, like, yeah, you could go to other platforms. We highly recommend you lay the fuck low for until we figure this shit out. Because if you get out there the day after, like, it breaks that you got in trouble for something, it will come off as, like, basically being like, meh, who cares? Okay, I can kind of, I yeah. kind of understand that perspective. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think I agree. It may be both him being a bit coy on which stream or set of streams that kind of triggered this. But also Twitch being infamously, like, completely secretive about the way they do business and the way yeah. they make their decisions and why they make their decisions. Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's just him, but the fact that, like, think about the number of YouTubers out there that have gotten in real trouble and then, like, immediately tried to get out there and, like, wave it away or just, like, went about like nothing was wrong and that was a problem. I think this is a rare instance of someone like looking at past history going, ha, huh, maybe I need to lay the fuck low on this one, actually, because, A, this is all anyone's going to focus till I get the answer out there. Like, if he doesn't know, streaming and not knowing why he got banned is also incredibly bad, because it's like, the chat for that's just going to be people speculating, and that's going to be a whole other nightmare, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for writing in, Alexi. Norway. Oh god, did I delete something? Um, appears I have. Wait, no, that was... Hang on, technical difficulties. Sorry, I gave credit to the wrong email. I was looking up... I, went, I moved on to the next email. Give me one sec. Um, thank you for writing in for that Nathan. Sorry, Alexi, your next... Your email is next. My bad. This one comes from Lexia Norway, now that I've messed up that way. You're wicked awesome, cast. In the past, there have been a lot of jokes about bringing back the horse head mask era of the FGC. And now that the yeah. FGC... And, and that, that's the real FGC. Given all that's happened with Evo and the FGC lately, I'm curious if your stance on bringing back shirtless horse head mask fighters in basements has changed at all. And if not... Do you think you can have an environment where the weirdness exists, but not also 
have all the problems that recently surfaced in the FGC. There is no FGC, uh, there is no FGC where I live, so I recently just assumed that stories along those lines were made up for, um, for humorous effect, but given recent events, I don't know what to believe anymore. Um, I, I think my oh. answer is, yeah, the horse head stuff wasn't what was causing the problems, people's incredibly shitty behavior what was causing the problems and like being yeah. weird doesn't necessarily mean you're being you're, you're sexually harassing people or assaulting or any of that stuff it means you're just being weird but yeah i mean yeah and and i mentioned this before i mean i've i've been a part of conventions like i've been backstage for conventions as well as attending a lot of fan conventions and Yes, you could absolutely can keep the weirdness of like fandoms without having the gross aspects of it. You can police the bad parts and keep the fun parts. I mean, that's the thing that's happened with uh, you know, in the speedrunning community as well. I mean, the European speedrunning community, the European speed speedster assembly, the ESA, they run a lot of uh, they run a lot of stuff like uh, like the. Uh, Games Done Quick done in the U.S. Yeah. And much like Games Done Quick, it's a world community, and this one's the ESA, European Speed Sur Assembly, is specifically done in Europe, often in, like, Sweden or Norway, actually. So that's, uh, and, you know, they've had to have their own reckoning with, you know, making sure that, you know, if there is any harassment like that going on, then they, they clamp down on it and making, make it very clear that that's not acceptable in our community. Just like they've tried to make it you know, very clear that bigotry is not acceptable yeah. in, in the speedrunning community, communities. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's definitely, I and I think, you know, fun is an essential part of it. And, you know, the sort of, unpredictable crazy wackiness absolutely can be there minus the gross stuff it's yeah. you know it they're not linked in any meaningful way the two things yeah so. no and i think we don't talk about it much but like most major esports and fgc events are alcohol free for kind of the exact reasons that we're running into now like people have figured out that like yeah the reason energy drinks are all fucking over these events is because alcohol sponsors cause problems with a lot of frequency because drinking seems to bring out the worst in a bunch of these people and if you have a crowd that has demonstrated they don't always act well in situations like this don't give them inhibition juice yeah I I guess to kind of go back to the can the horse head weirdness exist? Um, the horse I, I I mostly mean the horse head stuff as a joke when I say it. Like that's kind of a local, small time scene thing. And one of the benefits of the the horse head era of the FGC was if you got a reputation for being a creepy dude to be around, you got banned and people stopped hanging out with you. It didn't like make your shitty behavior better. You're better, but it was capable. But the industry, but the FGC and kind of other things are capable of small, at smaller scale, you can self-police better, actually, because it's not shit, we have to have so-and-so show up because it gets the eyeballs on this event. It's, yeah, fucker's creepy, stop letting him in the door. Not that that's an answer, like, it doesn't stop bad things from happening, but, that, okay, yeah, I, 
the Horsehead era is over. The Horsehead era should never come back in some ways. It was weird and bizarre and nightmarish in its own fun, bizarre way. But yeah, the, the, the two are not necessarily linked in a way that Horsehead, Horsehead FGC did not bring us the modern problems of the FGC. That's just people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you everyone for writing in. That does it for this week's email portion of this podcast. That means it does it for email. Again, wickedawesomecast at gmail.com. Anything you want to talk about before we close it out, Henry? I I keep talking about it, but I still haven't really gotten back to streaming. Yeah. Um, I don't know when I will, to be honest. I but on social media I am Kraken Zero. That is Z E R Zero. That's how I spell that. Yeah. And yeah, if I'm doing anything, it's gonna be on social media. But I may or may not be uh yeah, don't know. <laughs> we should if we if we actually get a chance to like you, know, you and Alex actually get on and do some Desi stuff, you know. We should actually probably stream it. Because... Oh no, I will stream that. It... I want to get when guys... we all right, and to just kind of leave off, like we didn't end up doing a raid because of weird technical difficulties, but we did end up doing something instead. We did whisper, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did whisper. So, and that was that was comical because whisper is a comic. Whisper inherently dumb level. is comical. Yeah, yeah, but yep, that's it yeah. for me. Whisper fight's very nature is comical. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to get back into streaming. It's Mordak, M-O-R-D-4-K over on Twitch, but I've been lazy and bad about that lately. Uh, go check out Armchair Guardians, available on most podcasting platforms. It's coming to the ones it's not available on yet in the near future, so, yeah. Um, it's Destiny Podcast. That more or less does it, I think, for me. Uh, yeah. You want to close it out, or should I? Cue the middle.